Well, we're in Nehemiah chapter 2, and uh, that makes sense, because last week we were in Nehemiah chapter 1. And I hope you remember that Nehemiah, here just an ordinary man who works for the king, uh, has inquired of the state of things in Jerusalem, his home city. His brothers and others have come, and he asks what things are like. And they say, well, the, the gates are burned, the walls are torn down, the place is in ruins, and the, the people are in desperate shape. And Nehemiah doesn't get mad at the government. He doesn't uh, bewail the, um, the politics of the day or the laziness of those who live in the city. But instead, he falls on his face before God, and he prays. He fasts and he prays. And we looked at that prayer last time, the prayer of a burdened man. And all of us, at times in our lives, we see things that, as far as we can tell, they're in ruins. Uh, maybe not necessarily a city with walls and gates, but some relationship in your life, some circumstance, uh, some need that you see, maybe even in your own neighborhood that needs to be met. And you look at that and you say, well, that's nothing but ruins. And you say, God, what can be done? What will you do about this? And you fall on your face before the God of heaven and you fast and pray because the Lord has given you a burden and as I said last week, I've found that when we come to the Lord and pray for these things, these things that burden us, that burden does nothing but increase in those times. As we see a need and as we ask the Lord to do something to meet that need, we become all the more concerned about it. And sometimes it seems like we pray and we pray and we pray and nothing ever happens. And so we give up and we stop praying. But I hope that by the example of Nehemiah, we'll be encouraged to continue praying. Because if we are persistent in prayer and we do continue bringing that burden to the Lord, we'll find that in time the Lord will open up doors and give us opportunities to share that burden. And He will begin to answer that prayer and to do something about the things we're praying about. Verse 11 at chapter 1, the, the prayer ended this way. He said, O Lord, I pray, please let your ear be attentive to the prayer of your servant, to the prayer of your servants who desire to fear your name, and let your servant prosper this day. He was looking for an answer this day. I pray, and grant him mercy in the sight of this man, that is, in the sight of the king. He says, For I was the king's cupbearer. I think you know what a cupbearer is. He's the guy who brings the food and the, the wine to the king and gives it a little taste before the king gets some to make sure it's not poisoned, right? Uh, the cupbearer is someone that you trust. It's somebody you, you, you would think highly of, someone who would be respectable. And so Nehemiah is that man for Artaxerxes. And he's been praying and continuing to do his job, continuing to do his work. And verse 1 of chapter 2 says, It came to pass in the month of Nisan, in the twentieth year of King Artaxerxes, when wine was before him, that I took the wine and gave it to the king. Now I had never been sad in his presence before. You wouldn't want to be uh, sad or disturbed or look upset when you come to bring wine to the king if you're the cupbearer. Because if you come in before the king and you're not your normal, happy, lighthearted self, the king's going to think something's wrong with what you're bringing him or that you're trying to kill him. 
And so verse 2 says, Therefore the king said to me, Why is your face sad since you are not sick? Now the king would have known Nehemiah's reputation, would have known that this isn't how he usually comes in. Nehemiah, is everything okay? You're not feeling sick, are you? I just, you know, I just had what you had. Uh, are, you, are you okay? This is nothing but sorrow of heart, the king discerns. So I became dreadfully afraid. Now, Nehemiah had done right. Jesus tells us when we fast and when we pray that we shouldn't do it to be seen by men. But Jesus says, go about your day. You wash your face. You comb your hair. You act like everything's totally normal. And you don't put on this big show when you're fasting and praying about something. So Nehemiah had apparently done that well. The king didn't know for these four months now that he's been fasting and praying over the conditions of Jerusalem. But now comes a day when Nehemiah comes before the king and he can't hide his sorrow any longer. Now, some of you are, do, do a pretty good job of, of hiding your face whenever things are wrong. You can put on the smile. Everything can, can look okay when it's not. Now, others of you, you show every emotion that you feel in every expression on your face. I'm not making eye contact with my wife right now. We know exactly how some of you feel by the looks you give. Nehemiah had kept it hid all this time, and now he comes before the king, and the king says, this is nothing but sorrow of heart, Nehemiah. What's wrong? And now Nehemiah hears him say this, and he says he became dreadfully afraid. Now, what's Nehemiah been praying for? The conclusion of chapter 1. He's been praying that the Lord would give him favor with the king. Right? The king has resources. The king can do something about the problems in Jerusalem. And now he's sort of been forced into this situation. The conversations come up. It's not a day that he feels like it. And I don't know if you've ever been in that, that situation before where you've prayed for something, you've prayed for something, you've prayed for something, you've prayed for something, and then in a time when you least expected it, and maybe when you felt least prepared for it, God answered the prayer. I know I've had that experience in praying for people for their salvation, that the Lord would open a door to, to tell them about Jesus and to share the gospel, and then doggone it, if He don't open the door on the day, I don't feel like talking about it. You're dependent on the Lord's strength at that point. And Nehemiah became dreadfully afraid. And who knows what, what's going through his mind, if the king thinks he's plotting something against him or what. But then the, he says to the king in verse 3, May the king live forever. Listen, I'm not trying to kill you, and your drink's not poison. May the king live forever. Why should my face not be sad when the city, the place of my father's tombs, lies waste and its gates are burned with fire? He just pours out his heart. God's opened this door, given him this opportunity to, to pour out his burden before the king. How could I not be sad? Haven't you heard what things are like in my city? Now, Nehemiah doesn't know how the king, the king will respond, but verse 4 says, the king just says to him, what do you request? That sounds like a blank check. What do you want? Now, Nehemiah, he's had time to think about this. He knows what needs to be done. He said, okay, well, here's what has to happen. I need this and this and this. And he just send me for this amount of time and to go here and send these people with me. And he could have made very specific requests. But what's the first thing Nehemiah does when the king asks him that question? What does it say? He says, so I prayed to the God of heaven. Now, this couldn't have been a get down on your knees and pray for an hour and seek the Lord and just 
looking for wisdom in that moment kind of prayer. This was a quick under your breath, God help me. Do you pray those prayers? A moment uh, comes upon you suddenly and you don't really know what to do and you say, God, I need you help. I need you right now. I need your help. God answers those prayers. I just encourage you with that. God does answer those prayers. But I also want to say you can't live on those prayers. See, those short, quick, in the moments, I need you right now, God, prayers are most effective when they've been preceded by seasons of long, intense, fervent, consistent prayers with the Lord. Yes, call on the Lord in your moment of trouble. Ask Him for help. But friends, those prayers will only be effective if you've been consistently day in and day out spending time with the Lord in the Word and in prayer. You can't just cry out only when you need help. We need the Lord every day. We need to spend time with Him in His Word and in His presence. So Nehemiah prays to the God of heaven, and then he answers. He says, I said to the king, if it pleases the king, and if your servant has found favor in your sight, I ask that you send me to to Judah, to the city of my father's tombs, that I may rebuild it. There, he's made his request. Now at this point, it's in the hands of the king, but whose hand is the king's heart in? You've heard this over and over again through Ezra and Nehemiah. The heart of the king is in the hand of the Lord. Like rivers of water, he turns it wherever he wishes. So then verse 6 says, Then the king said to me, parentheses, the queen also sitting beside him, How long will your journey be, and when will you return? So it pleased the king to send me, and I set him a time. So they have this little conversation about the logistics. Here's how long I need to be gone. Uh, I can be back by this amount of time. And the king was happy to send him. He sticks in that that random little fact that the queen was sitting beside him. Why is that there? It's sort of awkward. If you read 10 commentaries, you might get 10 different answers as to why it's there. I'll give you my opinion. It's there, one, because it's unusual for the queen to be sitting by the king. Uh, the, the kings in Persia, I mean, they weren't interested in the opinions of their wives, okay? Just, you have to live with that. You remember this whole book of Esther about a queen who was fearful to go into the presence of her husband, the king. And she wasn't sure how he'd react. But here we find the queen is sitting by the side of the king. She's exercising influence. Now, if this is the Artaxerxes that we think it is, this queen may not have been his wife, but rather the queen mother. Or in his case, stepmother. The wife of his father, whose name was Esther. And it may just be that here Nehemiah has been praying for four months. But God has been working not just for the last four months, but God has been working for years. You know, Mordecai told Esther whenever that that situation happened about the Jews going to be just wiped out. He says, who knows, God might have made you queen for such a time as this, but he might have not just made her queen for such a time as that, but also for such a time as this. And so we don't need to spend too much time on that because it is somewhat speculation. But listen, when you're praying, God is already working, even if you don't see it. You might be praying for something for a year, but God's been at work for 10 years. You might have just started praying for something this week, but God's been at work organizing how he's going to answer that prayer for a decade or longer. God is sovereign. He is in control and you can trust him. 
Verse 7 begins with a word, at least here in the New King James, furthermore. And this is that domino effect, right? Um, it's kind of funny to me. We're, we're, we're planning on remodeling this children's wing over here. There's some classrooms that really need to be updated. And, and talking about updating the children's wing, you know, put a, a bathroom in for the, the, the kids, maybe some monitors on the walls, better speakers overhead. Oh, well, maybe we need to do the lighting. And then you move out to the hallway. Well, this needs to happen in the hallway. Well, you know, if we're going to be doing this in the classrooms, we're going to be doing this in the hallway. We might as well go downstairs and work on this in the basement. And, and the, you start working on one thing and then Next thing you know, you've got to list a mile long all these things you want to do, right? Some of you experience this when you take your kids down the toy aisle. We're just going to look. We're not going to buy anything. We're, we're going to look. And you get down there and you look. And then it's, oh, please, can I have this? And it, okay, well, you know, that's small. It's inexpensive. Maybe we could do that. Oh, that, thank you so much. I won't ask for anything else for a year. You go down the next aisle. Oh, please, can I? You, you see, you know where this is going. And so Nehemiah has made his request. He says, will you send me to, to do this job in, in Jerusalem? And the king says, go. And then he says, furthermore, if it pleases the king, let letters be given to me for the governors of the region beyond the river that they must permit me to pass through till I come to Judah. Well, okay, well, we can probably do that. We'll send you to do the job. I'll give you letters so everybody will let you pass through their territories. Oh, and while you're at it, verse 8, let a letter to Asaph, the keeper of the king's forest, be made. Uh, for the... Uh, for the, he must give me the timber to make the beams for the gates and the citadel which pertains to the temple. Okay, well, we can give you the supplies, the woods to fix the, the wood to fix the uh, gates and the temple. Oh, yeah, and I'll probably need a place to live too, so um, maybe for a house for me to occupy while I'm there. And the long, list just gets longer and longer and longer. But it says here at the end of verse 8, the king granted them to me. He gave him everything he asked for according to the good hand of my God upon me. We've heard that before, haven't we? Ezra, in his day, recognized everything that God had done, he did it according to his own grace. And Nehemiah here comes and makes this request to the king, and he receives what he's asked for, but it's all because of the grace of God. And when God opens those doors and He lets you pour out your burden and He starts to answer some of those prayers to get the work started, listen, everything that happens has nothing to do with how nice of a prayer you prayed or how serious you were with God or any effort that you've made on your own. But every good thing that you receive is simply a gift of God's grace. Every good and perfect gift is from above, James says, and comes down from the Father of lights. Nehemiah recognized where the gifts really were coming from, not from Artaxerxes, but from the good hand of his God that was upon him. So then he goes, in verse 9 and 10, tell, introduce us to a, a couple of men, Sanballat the Horonite, Tobiah the Ammonite official. He says that they heard that Nehemiah had come and they weren't too happy about it. And they weren't disturbed because somebody was coming to fix the city. They weren't disturbed because things could have been repaired and put into better condition. He says that they were deeply disturbed in verse 10 that a man had come to seek the well-being of the children of Israel. And we're going to talk more about these guys in, in, in weeks to come, but let me just say this right off the bat. Anytime God starts to answer your prayers and to do a work, the devil's going to do something to send discouragement. They're not attacking them. They're not insulting them yet. They're just disturbed that someone would seek the well-being of the people of God. 
And I hate to say it, but often there are people like that in churches. People who profess faith in Jesus, they say they're Christians, but then as soon as God begins to answer prayers, as soon as God begins to move, they are disturbed that something might change. I want to move quickly, but, I, but still cover the rest of this, this chapter here. He says, He came to Jerusalem and was there three days. Verse 11. Verse 12, he says, Then I rose in the night and I had a few men with me. And I told no one what my God had put in my heart to do at Jerusalem, nor was there any animal with me except the one on which I rode. So Nehemiah comes into the city. Now, I'm, if I was coming in and I had all these resources and the approval of the king and I was going to rebuild this city and save this town, I would have sent some messengers ahead. I would have made sure there was a party. People were pumped up and excited and waiting on me when I got there. But Nehemiah just rides in quietly. He says, I didn't tell anybody what God had put in my heart to do. He comes and he stays for three days and doesn't say a word. Verse 13, he said, I went out by night through the valley gate, the serpent well, the refuse gate, viewed the walls of Jerusalem, which were broken down. Its gates, which were burned with fire, I went to the fountain gate and the king's pool, but there was no room for the animal under me to pass. So I went up in the night by the valley and viewed the wall. Then I turned back and entered the valley gate and so returned. Nehemiah goes out to survey the ruins, to see what really needs to be done, to see what kind of shape things really are in. A couple of things I want to say here at this point is, one, notice this, that while everybody else is going to bed, everybody's asleep, this problem, this burden that's been weighing on Nehemiah is the thing that's keeping him up tonight. And when God gives you a burden, He puts something on your heart that needs to be done, often that's going to disturb your sleep. Other people might see it and be able to walk by and go to bed at night and sleep just fine. But if God really has given you a burden, be prepared to spend some nights in prayer. I don't think Nehemiah is just walking around looking for the sake of surveying it. He's walking around, he's seeing what's going on, and he's seeking the Lord. I also want to say this too, that it's, he was in, Jeru he was in uh, the, the king's palace and had heard about the, the state of things in Jerusalem, but he hadn't seen it with his own eyes. He heard that everything was desolate and it broke his heart, but he hadn't yet been out there to see it for himself. And a lot of times in churches, we hear about the state of things in the world, and we talk about lost people who need to be born again, and we talk about problems in the community that maybe we can help meet people's needs and share the gospel with them. And we can sit here and say, oh, that's awful. We can watch the Annie Armstrong video and, and, and see how other people are reaching out, and maybe we can give some money, but we just stay right here in our building where it's comfortable. But friends, I think it would do Christians a lot of good to actually go out and be around the people we say we want to reach. I know this has been a, a thing that the Lord has been working on in me because I'm a pastor. My office is right there. I see church people all week. If I'm going to be around lost people, I have to make myself go be around lost people. And the Lord's helping me with that. And when you're, when you're around people and you start having conversations, you really start to see what the needs are and how you can minister to people. And the Lord begins to open up those, those doors and give you opportunities to tell about Him. We need to go out and see what's out there for ourselves. Can I kick a horse while it's down? I've been saying this a lot lately. 
Anybody want to go prayer walking? <laughs> Weldon, are you here? I hope Weldon's here. Weldon and I went out, and that guy, you can tell he was a mail carrier. That guy's got some legs on him. He can, he can get it done. Um, I had a hard time keeping up with him the other day. We went out for an hour and prayed for 49 homes in an hour. That may be one way that you can get out in your community and see what's going on around you. Start praying for homes. See just who happens to be standing out in the yard and will talk to you. We've had some good conversations that way. Get to know the people around you in your own community, your own neighborhood, and right here around our church. Verse 16, Nehemiah says, the, official, the officials did not know where I had gone, what I had done. I had not yet told the Jews, the priests, the nobles, or the officials, or the others who did the work. So at this point, he hasn't said anything to him. He's just been praying, seeing what needs to be done, trusting the Lord. And then he has his moment. In verse 17, he says, Then I said to them, You see the distress that we are in, how Jerusalem lies waste, and its gates are burned with fire. Come, and let us build the wall of Jerusalem, that we may no longer be a reproach. And I told them of the hand of my God, which had been good upon me, and also of the king's words that had been spoken to me. So they said, let us rise up and build. Then they set their hands to do this good work. Now listen, when, when Nehemiah got to give his speech, it really doesn't sound like something Winston Churchill would say. It's not all that uh, awe-inspiring. The words don't seem overly impressive. But at first, he doesn't pull any punches. He says, guys, it's bad. This place is a wasteland. It's in ruins. And listen, before we're going to get serious about doing the work of God and seeing the Lord do a work here, we've got to acknowledge the things that are bad. How long has it been since you've seen a lost person be born again? When was the last time you shared the gospel yourself? When's the last time you spent more than five minutes in prayer seriously seeking the Lord? We've got to acknowledge the things in our lives that are wrong. We've got to acknowledge the wasteland. Then he calls them to action. He says, come, let us build the wall of Jerusalem that we may no longer be a reproach. Friends, we talk about wanting to see people saved. We talk about reaching people with the gospel. We talk about making disciples. But for, let me just say like Nehemiah, come on, let's do it already. Find somebody to talk to. Pray for them. Start by praying and then look for the opportunity to speak. The Lord will answer those prayers. And Nehemiah didn't just say, hey, it's bad and we need to get to work. But he says, I told them of the good hand of my God which had been upon me. The good things that the Lord had already done in answer to his prayer as he went to the king. I don't, I don't share what I'm about to share just, just to, to, for the sake of arrogance or try to puff myself up at all. But can I just go ahead and tell you the way the, good, the hand of the Lord has been on me this week? Because we talked about this last week, praying burdened prayers and about seeking the Lord and asking him for opportunities. Before we ever made it back to church Wednesday night, I'd already had the opportunity to share the gospel with three people. And that may not sound like much to you. Maybe you're more spiritual than I am and you share the gospel every day. But three people in two days, for me, that's, un that's unusual. 
We prayed that the Lord would open doors, and He opened doors. We prayed for boldness, and He gave boldness. This little Easter egg I joked with you all about, this is what started one of those conversations. Those guys found this Easter egg in the monkey grass. That led to a conversation about Easter. That leads to a conversation about Jesus. Use whatever you can to open the door, to find a way in, to talk about the Lord. Not just that, but I'm seeing the Lord give burdens to people in this congregation. A lady told me just this week about how she's been burdened for her family. She sees the, the, the ruins that are there in her own family, and she's asking the Lord to, to redeem them. Another man who's, who realizes his need, and he doesn't, he doesn't care for the lost like he knows he should, so he's asking, he's praying that the Lord would give him a burden. He's burdened about the fact that he doesn't have a burden. I heard a married couple this week pray with tears for a lost neighbor who's living in sin. That's just been this week. Friends, I am seeing the Lord at work in my own life and in people in this congregation. Let that inspire you. Let that encourage you to seek Him yourself and to rise and build. To get on your own knees and to pray. To get on your own knees and seek the Lord. To open your own mouth and tell the good news to someone who's lost. Will you? Will you do it? Nehemiah says that the people said on their own initiative, they said, let us rise up and build. And they didn't just say, let us rise up and build, but it says, and then they set their hands to this good work. They took up their tools and got started. Friend, it's Sunday. I know that every good habit is supposed to start on Monday, especially diets, right? Don't wait till Monday. Today, get on your knees and seek the Lord. Today, ask Him to give you an opportunity to tell someone about Jesus. Today, ask Him to start changing your heart so that you are concerned about the things that He is concerned about. Today, rise up and build. Verse 19 there, Sanballat and uh, Tobiah and, and a third guy named Geshem comes up and says, they laughed at us and despised us. Said, what's this thing that you're doing? Will you rebel against the king? They're just trying to insult them, trying to discourage them. I promise you, if you commit to serving the Lord and seeking the Lord today, you'll have discouragement before you go to bed tonight. It's going to come. Verse 20, so I answered them and said, the God of heaven himself will prosper us. Hey, this thing isn't in our hands. It's in the Lord's hands. The God himself, the God of heaven will prosper us. Therefore, we, his servants, will arise and build. You have no heritage or right or memorial in Jerusalem. When you're discouraged, when you face uh, those dark clouds that come over your head, when you're trying to do right and to serve the Lord, you just have to say the truth. You have to say what's true, whether you feel like it's true or not. The Lord will prosper His work. The Lord will build His church. The enemy will not prevail. Friends, if you seek the Lord, God will burden you. And that's a good thing. Because it's that burden that makes us seek Him all the more. And if we seek Him patiently and persistently with those cares that He's given us, in time, He will open doors for us to share those burdens, to pour out our hearts to others, 
to those maybe who can even help us and come alongside us, to, to call to action those who can serve with us. But first, it must begin with casting that burden on the Lord and let Him do the work. Will you join me in this? Let's pray. Our Father in heaven, I praise you for the work that you are doing. For the ways I've seen your hand at work even this week. And Lord, I pray that you would move your people to prayer and to action. Burden us for those things that concern you. Give us your heart for lost people. And may we rise up and build. This work isn't our own. We're not trying to establish our own little kingdom here in Pilot Mountain. But we are working for the kingdom of God. We want people to come know you. Do your work in our hearts, I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.